We begin, as Amy said, our six-week adventure with 1 Corinthians. And so, allow me to begin by setting the stage. And for some of you, this will surely be review. For others, this will seem obvious. But I think it's still worth the short time to assess our context. 1 Corinthians, commonly referred to as an epistle, means simply letter. A letter written by a man named Paul in the first century CE, a letter written to an emerging church in the city of Corinth, and this was the first generation of Jesus followers to begin assembling after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And small communities of followers of the way, like the one in Corinth, were beginning to pop up across the Mediterranean world. The spread of this movement was aided by a number of people and things, but for our purposes here, it is worth noting that Paul was a sailor. He grew up in a port town, spent much of his life at sea. In his travels, he met with individuals and households and communities and these small but growing emerging churches, and he met with them to preach and to teach, to offer encouragement, to offer counsel as they faced challenges together. The emerging church community in Corinth, like most of them, as Amy has already referred to, was composed of Jews and Gentiles, or Judeans and Greeks. And this would have been very comfortable territory for someone like Paul, who was a Jew or a Judean but who, as a sailor, spent much of his life literally in the same boat as all manner of Greek and Gentile and, frankly, the riffraff of society who often would take to the seas, often still take to the seas to escape whatever might be haunting them back on land. Paul was accustomed to these really mixed groups. Paul wrote this letter to the mixed church community in Corinth in response to a letter that they had written to him. And we see clear evidence of this, and yet the original letter has never been found. While we can deduce some of what they wrote to him based on his responses to them, we cannot know for certain what that first letter said. So Paul's letter to the Corinthians was a personal and specific letter written to a particular people, new Jesus followers, trying to be figuring out how to be community together, at a particular place, Corinth, in Greece, roughly halfway between Athens and Sparta, at a particular time, 2,000 years ago, and incidentally, before any of the Gospels were written. So these letters from Paul are actually the earliest books that we have in the New Testament. He didn't have access to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now, it's odd to read another person's mail, especially picking up halfway through what is clearly an ongoing conversation and not having access to the first part of the conversation. Especially 2,000 years later and across the globe. Especially when that letter appears in our Bible and so has been assigned the status of Scripture. 
Now, as an aside, one wonders what Paul would think of this if he knew. If he's anything like me, he'd at least want to rewrite. (laughs) Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You're still reading that thing? Can I please just take one more swipe at it? (laughs) And yet, as my HarperCollins study Bible states, and as Amy has already sort of begun to describe for us, Corinth was a large and prospering urban center with an ethnically, culturally, and religiously diverse population. In this, we hear resonance with our own prospering urban home of Seattle, especially with the growing gaps between those who are prospering and those who are not. Some commentators have reflected on the Corinthians, the group of folks meeting in Corinth, figuring out how to be Jesus followers together, as urban intellectuals and self-sufficient types. Anyone hearing any resonance? And they were a church community. They were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in their context and discerning how to live with one another amidst significant differences. More resonance there? So this letter is not to us, not even close. It is to a people and a place and a time so foreign to us as to be alien. It wasn't written to be a general or a generic epistle to all people for all times and all places. That was never Paul's intention. It was written in response to an inquiry from a distinct community. In that case, we have no business even reading the thing. However, the resonance with their context and with ours, despite the huge barriers of time, culture, and place, are remarkable enough to listen in and wonder together what might be instructive for our own life together. That's the tension that we're going to carry with us into this series. That's the caution. And that is the invitation that we carry into this adventure with the Corinthians. Foolishness. Foolishness is our word for the day. Foolishness. Paul begins his letter by playing with the concepts of foolishness and wisdom, with strength and power or weakness. And the cross, in this case, is foolishness to the world, but powerful for God. God, Paul writes, made foolish the wisdom of the world, and its inverse, made wise the foolish of the world. And we, Paul exhorts, proclaim what is foolish to the world, because Christ is the power and wisdom of God. To conclude our excerpt of the letter this morning, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And here we go, around the (laughs) merry-go-round. There's a whole lot of subversion going on here. And while he begins the letter by eschewing eloquent wisdom, he goes on to play with language and to play with concepts, displaying a pretty masterful grasp of rhetoric, actually. So Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that eloquent wisdom stuff, but then is playing 
with language the way someone who is a master of language does and can. Now, Paul is not the first to flip things on their head in this way, to do that sort of rhetorical reversal, to set the wisdom of the world in juxtaposition with the wisdom of God, to proclaim that God would ultimately overturn our worldly order. That apocalyptic reversal was not new in Jewish thought. Just think of Mary's song. Even though it hadn't yet been recorded, in the Gospel of Luke, think of Mary's song and the way she echoed the song of Hannah and the songs of the Hebrew prophets who lived generations before her. Paul's subversion of the perceived wisdom and foolishness of the world and God, it wasn't new. It was part of the tradition he grew up in and inherited. But a crucified central prophet was. That was new. That was the new element being added into a centuries-old religious tradition. And it's interesting that Paul kicks things right off by saying that he wasn't sent to baptize. I don't know if I've ever quite tuned in to that little bit in Corinthians before. He wasn't sent to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And he stays focused on that sense of call. And for Paul, consistently across all of his letters, but certainly in 1 Corinthians, the gospel can be summed up in two words. Anybody catch it in our reading this morning? Christ crucified. Paul proclaims the gospel in these two words. Christ crucified. Now, as... Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan write in their book, The First Paul, any statement of the significance for Paul of Christ crucified risks understatement. And that includes mine. Any statement about the significance for Paul of Christ crucified risks understatement. For Paul, the crucifixion is inextricably bound to both the resurrection and the life that led to the crucifixion. So it's never just the death of Jesus for Paul. Not even close. And yet, Christ crucified is also somehow central. And for Paul, the significance of the cross is... There are many reasons for the significance of the cross. And I'm going to share just three of them this morning. One, the cross reveals the character of empire. Jesus didn't just die. This isn't Jesus died. Jesus wasn't just killed. This isn't Jesus was killed. Jesus was crucified. Executed. By the state. In our context, this is Christ lethally injected. Christ electrocuted. Crucifixion has become a theological term for us. We can't even think about it without thinking about religious teaching. But that absolutely couldn't be further from what his audience heard. Paul's entire audience would have heard the unspoken Rome in his gospel proclamation. Christ crucified by Rome. Paul doesn't have to name Rome. Rome is assumed and implied already. And in not naming Rome, Paul actually is making, I think, perhaps a deliberate attempt to proclaim something even bigger than the specific truth of Rome executing Jesus. 
as a political threat. That is the specific truth. The issue is not simply Roman imperial authority, as if Rome were worse than any other empire. Paul didn't simply indict Rome, but what he saw in it. Rome embodied the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that he's subverting here. Rome embodied the normalcy of this world, and that normalcy of the world is domination systems in which a few use their power, wealth, and wisdom to shape the social system in their own self-interest, the few dominating the many. And they did this through violence and through the threat of violence. Do we continue to hear resonance? The cross reveals the character of empire. Second, the cross reveals the path of personal transformation. The cross showed folks the way. That metaphorically we are to die to old ways of being, old ways of knowing, old ways of dominating or being dominated, old ways of defining wisdom and foolishness, strength and power and weakness, die to all of that old stuff that is so familiar we can't even help but do it because it's in the world, it's the water we're swimming in. Die to all that old way. And then to rise to new life in Christ, new ways of being, new ways of knowing, new ways of structuring ourselves, and so on. New ways that appear foolish. The cross reveals the path of personal transformation. And finally, for now, although Paul would have lots more to say, I'm sure we're going to encounter his... uh, Eloquence, yes, but loquaciousness as well. But finally, for now, the cross revealed the character of God. Jesus, according to Paul, was the decisive revelation of God. And so, Jesus' willingness to be executed, to be lethally injected, to be electrocuted by the state, Jesus' willingness to be executed because of his passion for God, his passion for people, and his passion for a different way of being in the world, his passion for a different world, for the complete dismantling of our domination systems. Jesus' willingness to be executed for all of that reveals a God whose essence is passionate love, (laughs) a God whose essential work is liberation, The cross revealed the character of God. For Paul, Christ crucified. The gospel in two words, according to Paul. For Paul, Christ crucified exemplified the full gospel that he preached because he understood the cross to reveal the character of empire, the character of God, and the path of personal transformation for those of us seeking to follow starting with the church in Corinth, facing conflict in its own community, figuring out how to live as intellectual and urban elites in a diverse and prosperous city. This is where he begins, Christ crucified and the subversion 
of foolishness and wisdom. To state the obvious at this point for Paul, the gospel is both political and personal. And we are called to foolishness. The invitation for us in our resonant context, this is what it is, and there is so much more to dig into. But ultimately, what we want to remember over and over in this six-week series is that Corinthians is a letter of exhortation and pastoral counsel. This is Paul encouraging a fledgling community trying to find its way. And therefore, in this series, we are going to keep proclaiming and living into Paul's salutation. So at the close of the letter, we will encounter the words that we are actually going to keep before us at all times and that our artists have actually literally put before us. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. This is Paul's exhortation to the community and encouragement and counsel and invitation. And so we're going to keep living into that salutation that he's building toward. And we're going to amplify that exhortation in the voices of this community. And so we've invited storytellers from the congregation to illuminate some piece of this exhortation for us so that we hear the contemporary epistle from within our body as well. Today that storyteller is Darren, and we're grateful to Darren for kicking us off. And as we prepare to hear the story from Darren, I'd like to invite you to join me in singing Guide My Feet. We're going to sing the first four verses, and this one's hard to sing sitting down, so let's stand in body or in spirit for the first four verses of Guide My Feet. <laughs> 